The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There's a strong link between sports and medicine. If you're not at the top of your medical game, you can't play well, or you just can't play. Welcome to Bruce the Sports Doc with medical expert Dr. Bruce Grossinger. This program looks at advances and breakthroughs in medicine and how it relates to sports. Plus, you'll receive preventative tips and analysis of sports injuries this week. Now, here's Bruce the Sports Doc. Welcome to the newest edition of Bruce the Sports Doc and Spencer the Wizard in Wiz City. It's holiday time, July 4th. Many of you are spending your time at the beach, up in the mountains. We wish all the best to all the listeners down the line at Voice America Sports. I'm Dr. Bruce Grossinger. As you know, I'm a clinical neurologist and sports doctor in Philadelphia. And our guest analyst is uh, moving along the lines on his way towards graduating and going to a university where he will likely continue his work as a sports journalist. This is an exciting time, and we're here to wrap up the NBA Finals. Without any further ado, here's Spencer the Wizard. How you doing, guys? Um, welcome to the show. Welcome to Bruce the Sports Talk. Um, I want to wish everybody a, uh, a happy Independence Day and uh, a wonderful 4th of July weekend. Um, it's a very exciting time of year. Um, we just experienced the NBA draft and the NBA finals just ended. So we have a lot to get to in today's show. Um, I hope that, um, everyone's enjoying their summer and, uh, this summer we've experienced a lot of hot weather, but, you know, hopefully, um, you know, everyone's safe out there, drinks a lot of water and, uh, you know, spend some time in the water, whether it's a pool, ocean, a river, you know, anything really in the water is great. And also, if you play golf or sport outside, just make sure you stay hydrated because it's very hot outside. Um, so right now we're going to kick off the show with some talk about the NBA draft. Um, do, well, actually, I'll ask Bruce the sports doc, you want to talk about the draft or do you want to talk about the finals first? I know you're geared up for the draft. You are a draft expert. I uh, I certainly watch a lot of college basketball. But as far as the deep nuances of some of the players we haven't heard of, that's the listeners are going to get to hear your expertise. So why don't you take it from the top, or maybe I can. Let's kick it off with um, who I think is one of the best players that has come out of the draft in many years. Some people think since LeBron James. It's Anthony Davis, a center of the Kentucky Wildcats. The MVP of the league, the MVP of the of the NCAA championship game. Anthony is mature. He's a freakishly wide wingspan, a great shot blocker, great defender. And essentially his offensive game was limited. It was almost like they had a, uh, a regulator on it. They didn't let him turn him loose because there's so many other players. Uh, he's going to be going to the New Orleans Hornets. 
I'd like to hear about Anthony Davis himself. What do you think of him? Is he as good as they say? And will this help the Hornets? Will they do anything or will they remain in the cellar? Well, I think, of course, it will help things. I think Anthony Davis, just his wingspan, I think he has like an eight-foot wingspan. And when you go in the paint, your shot's going to get blocked by Anthony Davis. You have to alter every shot you take. His his defensive um, presence in the lane is just unbelievable. We haven't seen anything like it. He's a freak athlete. He was actually six foot four for most of his high school career. And then going into his senior year, he actually grew seven inches. So now he's, um, let's see how tall he is actually. He's, um, He's he's actually a seven footer, but um, his wingspan, his arms are just so long, and he he could jump out. He could jump out of the building. The guy um, inside, he's just so he's so tall, but but again, he can jump. He can block shots. So he's just such a defensive presence in the NBA. But also, his post game will evolve. He's unselfish. He knows how to pass the ball well. And he can make big shots. He could shoot the ball well because he was a guard for most of high school, which makes him such a unique prospect. So this guy, Anthony Davis, is the real deal. He's the clear-cut number one player. And he was the best player all year in college basketball because no guards could score in the lane. He's just such a powerful weapon. And this makes New Orleans immediately a contender. And this guy will come into the NBA, and just because of his athletic ability... He'll already start to alter the game and change the game. So just one of the most unique prospects ever in NBA history. A, such a safe pick. And this guy, as long as he stays healthy, will be a great NBA player. Um, we look at the next couple of picks. And uh, Bruce, the sports doc, uh, you can uh, center the conversation. Around. Well, I think uh, the second best player is a guy they call MKG, Michael Kidd Gilchrist. This is a player from New Jersey, local boy to us in Philadelphia, uh, a guy who's got size, speed, uh, very good slashing and scoring ability. Uh, I think the only thing that you haven't really seen, I don't think you've seen a lot of defense from this guy, but I'm sure he's got all the skills. Um, He's been very much of an offensive player. But uh, he's going to the Charlotte Bobcats, and uh, as you know, this, uh, this team came in last place. So uh, they need all the help they can get. Um, I actually, with this pick right here, I think that Kid Gilchrist is a very solid player. I think his outside shot definitely needs to improve. That's a glaring weakness as he goes to the NBA. But just listening to this kid, I mean, he just seems like he's so confident, even at times cocky and overconfident. And you need that to be an NBA superstar. You need to have that persona to be able to succeed in this lead, you have to have um, self self confidence, and that's what Michael Kidd Gilchrist definitely brings to the table. He's very athletic; he gets to the rim at will. And watching the NBA Finals and watching LeBron James, LeBron James would struggle and choke in the fourth quarter because he would settle for outside shots. And in this league right now, getting into the lane and scoring at the rim and being able to finish at the basket is so much more valuable right now than having just an outside shot. You look at Jimmer Ferdet, a guy who just prides himself on taking the outside shot, who can't really get into the lane and score. 
Michael K. Gilchrist has the game where he can get into the lane, score the basketball, and like Rayshon Rondo, he should improve his jump shot. In fact, even in the NCAA tournament, he was hitting some threes. So I thought that Michael Jordan finally made a good pick in this draft. Um, he finally made a good draft pick with Kid Gilchrist. Um, I think he is tied for the second best player in, in this draft. There's someone that I want to get to that I love as a basketball player. Um, and, yeah. Well, I'm going to uh, skip around a little bit here because we look at New Orleans Hornets in the first round. They not only got Davis... But they also got Austin Rivers from the Duke Blue Devils. So we think they really scored big in the draft. We watched a lot of basketball. We watched a lot of uh, Duke-UNC games. And if you recall the uh, the first game, which was an upset, Austin Rivers played out of his mind. He hit the game-winning shot. Tremendous poise for a young player. And his game is uh, is different than Doc Rivers. You know, he's he's a lanky player. He's fast. And he's really a shooting expert. So... In looking at the, uh, the, the, the the Hornets, you have a team that really needs talent, and you're bringing in a guy named Davis, who is going to be, uh, you know, blocking shots, play a day. That you got Rivers, who's a real lanky, uh, you know, a lanky shooting guard. Uh, he also is a very confident person, and we want to hear your uh, your thoughts, Spencer, on these on the on the two picks from New Orleans. I love what New Orleans did right here. Because Austin Rivers is one of the most talented players in this draft. He's the best basketball player that with the ball. His dribbling moves, he can school people. He can break your ankles. He can get past you. And that's what you need in the NBA. His He could score one-on-one with anybody. And Austin Rivers is very confident. His work ethic is great. He really wants to improve at Duke. He just sometimes took too many shots. He took too many bad shots. But with maturity, he'll learn to pass the rock around. And with Austin Rivers, who can jump and he could soar as a guard above the rim, playing with Anthony Davis, this New Orleans team just went from being the most boring team in the NBA to the most exciting, upbeat new team in this league. I want to also give a shout-out because we're talking about draft winners and draft losers. Draft winners, Sacramento Kings. Thomas Robinson is an all-out beast. He is a stud on the glass. He is a bull, a monster, whatever adjective you want to use. This guy is six foot nine. He is built like a racehorse, strong as can be, can finish at the rim, has good post moves. This was an absolute steal for Sacramento at number five. Imagine their front line now next year. DeMarcus Cousins and Thomas Robinson. You have two twin towers now in Sacramento. I wouldn't want to go down the lane at Arco Arena facing Thomas Robinson and DeMarcus Cousins because they'll dismiss you from class early. So Thomas is a great pick for Sacramento. Big time winner. So right now, I, I think Thomas Robinson could be a true center. Definitely, you know, you look at um, you look at Chris Bosh. He plays a center on the on the championship basketball team in Miami. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see how they both play alongside each other, and and I think that their personalities definitely differ. I think that Thomas Robinson always has a work ethic, and he always has a motor to work. 
and he's of tremendous young character, whereas DeMarcus Cousins' character is somewhat undeveloped. He's often immature, and he often doesn't get along with his teammates. But DeMarcus Cousins is extremely talented, and when DeMarcus Cousins wants something, he can get it. So he's a, he's a guy of a lot of talent. So it'll be interesting to see how they gel. But now that Robinson's in here, you bring up a great point that Sacramento can trade Cousins and get back a solid point guard. Because Tyreek Evans, I don't know if he's a point guard. I think he's a shooting guard. So they now have a lot of options in Sacramento. I think that Thomas Robinson, as a skill standpoint, is one of the second best players in in the draft, um, other than Anthony Davis. Cleveland is a big loser to me. I disliked both of their picks. I thought that they should have got Harrison Barnes, a proven winner from Ames, Iowa, a state champion with Doug McDermott at Ames, Iowa High School. Um, and he was, Harrison Barnes was one of the best scorers in college basketball for two years. Instead, they got a guy on Syracuse who averaged only 14 points and who didn't even start in Dion Waiters. And I know he's a talented swing man and whatever, but he's a six man. And you have a guy in Harrison Barnes who's clutch, who can hit the big shot, who's a dead eye shooter, and that is friends with Kyrie Irving. So the fact that they got Dion Waiters, I dislike that pick a lot. I I thought that Waiters was a little bit overrated for this position. I think he's an okay scorer. He can get hot. But I see him as a Dante Green in the NBA. Um, just talented, but just not consistent. Whereas Harrison Barnes will be more consistent. Um, right now, we have a lot of stuff to get to about the NBA draft. More picks, but we got off to a great start. We're going to come back. We'll talk a little bit more about the draft. And then we want to recap the NBA Finals as LeBron James hoists his first NBA championship. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine. Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. school to the pros we we cover everything everything. let your voice be heard voice america sports
You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the next segment of Bruce the Sports Doc and Spencer the Wizard. We'd like to talk about the NBA Finals and the outcome. Miami Heat winning in five. We have our pseudo-NBA analyst and quasi-expert, Spencer the Wizard Grossinger. Your thoughts? Did you just call me a sumo wrestler? Not exactly. Well, I, I didn't understand those other words, but um, anyway, NBA Finals, right? Miami wins in five. Basically, LeBron wins. It's a sports fan's nightmare comes true. Dan Gilbert's nightmares are now realistic. LeBron James is an NBA champion. You know, and pretty much the reason why I think Miami won is because of the experience that they had last year playing the Dallas Mavericks. You looked at this series, and you saw Oklahoma City's role players... And you thought that 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 would be the difference in the series. You thought that if you thought Oklahoma City would win, you were saying, Ibaka's going to be big, he's going to hit shots, he's going to block LeBron and Dwayne Wade. And you also said that James Harden would be the third scorer that the Heat desired. Both of those things did not happen. James Harden is the go-to the series for me in Oklahoma City because he just didn't show up. And Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook had to carry their team the entire time. And to tell you the truth, they were even good to um, to carry the team that, as far as they did. They won game one, and they competed in each game with only having two stars. In fact, when Russell Westbrook scored 44 points in game four, um, Durant scored 25, I think. The Thunder, those two players scored 75 out of their 89 points. And, uh, that, and that really tells you something. You know, that tells you, basically, that um, the other role players just didn't show up. For the Miami Heat, they got unexpected success from their role players. Shane Battier was great in all the games, hitting all, hitting probably 70% of his threes. He just couldn't miss, and you're like, where the heck did that come from? Shane Battier, a shooter, and shooting this well? Crazy. Also, Mario Chalmers scoring 25 points in Game 4. Just unbelievable. He single-handedly won game four with it, with his play. And he stepped up. Norris Cole, Mike Miller in the last game of the series. Miami's role players beat Oklahoma City's flat-out simple. So you have um, LeBron and Kevin Durant, but it's more than just that. It's a team game. So that's what it, that's what it came down to for me was the role players of Miami. And basically Miami did this because they were composed. Miami is a, is it was a more composed team than Oklahoma City and Oklahoma City just didn't step up. I've never seen James Harden play so poorly in his in his basketball career, college, high school, or professional than the way he played in the finals. The way he was against San Antonio, people were expecting the Miami Heat to be in trouble because they were expecting James Harden to come alive, to hit the big dagger at the end of the game, and to win 
basketball games for Oklahoma City and to be the third man, the third partner in crime. And Miami each night had somebody who stepped up, whether it was Batty A. Chalmers or Mike Miller. And Ibaka didn't shoot well. The Thunder in general, Derek Fisher, no one could really shoot the three-pointer well. And Miami just had more support, along with LeBron playing a little bit better than Kevin Durant and playing a great series. So Miami wins it in five games. But to me, it was because of Oklahoma City not not giving any support to their two superstars and for being inexperienced and shying away from the moment. And you look at Miami's supporting cast, you got to give them more credit than they've deserved. Miami's supporting cast could have beat many teams in these playoffs without LeBron or Dwayne Wade. So you really have to give them a lot of credit. And this is not a, th- a big three. This is not a basketball team that just has three players. They were built very well by Pat Riley. And their experience last year in the finals helped them become more confident and helped them play superior to the young and inexperienced Oklahoma City Fund. Well, uh, I agree with your analysis. I, I think, though, uh, if you look at James Harden, he uh, he had a great year, and he got him to the finals. And um, I didn't see a lack of effort on his part, so I don't agree with that. I I believe he 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 made the, he he took the shots that that were falling, but they they just didn't fall. Sometimes in uh, in life, as you know, you're a, you're a shooter yourself. Sometimes the shots just don't fall. And Miami had the experience, especially the finals. Are so, it's like the Super Bowl. There's so many distractions. So when you get to that point. The players like Shane Battier, Mike Miller, um, and Chalmers, those players who really didn't get much notoriety played perfect. They they just got locked in. And as a team, when a team strikes a perfect chord in in any sport, it uh, usually the other team sh- you know sloughs off of it or slumps off or whatever something that rhymes with that. But in this case, uh, OKC, you know. All really young guys. You forget Durant's only 23. You forget Harden is 21. So these guys, you know, Harden with that beard looks like he's 40. But he's, he's a kid. He's a young kid. And uh, they, they can hold their head up high. They had a, they had a great year. Uh, they just rewarded their coach, um, Scotty. What's his last name? Brooks. Yeah, Scotty Brooks, former three-point shooter for the Sixers. They just gave him a four-year contract. Okay, he, That's well-deserved. And they also got a very good draft pick, uh, a guy who fell in their lap. Perry Jones. Perry Jones, the third. PJ3. So, you know, I, I, again, my, my thoughts on LeBron are that he, he showed a lot of class at the end. He didn't, uh, he didn't spike the ball at the end. They all showed respect for the Thunder, and he got the monkey off his back. And he, he was a great player. And, and one thing I can say is, LeBron's post game near the basket was just superb. He just he was unstoppable. He had like maybe a hundred different moves, and uh, so rather than just shoot long shots and miss them, he actually took it to the hole. And it, that that's the difference, if you ask me. Right, LeBron James attacking and not selling for jumpers was definitely key in the series. Dwayne Wade quietly was such a steady second second um, second wheel to LeBron James. Um, and, I mean, again, about James Harden, I think the series came down to him. Because in San Antonio, James Harden would take the big shot, and he would convert the big shot. In this series, I I have to disagree a little bit. I think that James Harden, once he didn't have success, 
he lost confidence. And that happens to a lot of people. I'm not blaming him. I'm just giving you what I saw. I actually like James Harden a lot as a person and as a player. In the NBA Finals, I just think the stage was too big for him in this particular Finals. In the Conference Finals versus San Antonio and all throughout the year, James Harden would always take the final shot. Even if he was struggling, he would still have the confidence to take that shot. And I saw James Harden towards the end of games not wanting to take the shot and looking to pass it off. So James Harden, uh, I think he'll bounce back. I think Oklahoma City had a good effort. I think that Miami was always the best team. And I think that each time in these playoffs when Miami didn't focus and when they were in trouble versus Boston or Indiana, LeBron James would save them and center them back on the same path. And Miami outlasted this marathon playoff run. You know, each time when America and, and the analysts thought that they were in trouble, Miami would come back and... Um, and they would, and LeBron James would carry him. You know, Game Six was really a pivotal moment this year for the Miami Heat. Game Six against Boston. People were saying that Boston was going to win that series four to two at the TD Garden, and they were going to say that Miami's big three would be annihilated, and it would be a Boston Oklahoma City final, and the big three was going to be a failure and everything. Well, guess what? LeBron scored forty five points, and. Boston ended up blowing their one and only opportunity to beat the Heat. And basically each time the Heat dealt with adversity, LeBron James would take them out of that hole. And you got to give credit where credit is due. LeBron James learned... After last year, he was just shooting too many jump shots. The first two NBA Finals games he played, he had a combined record of 2-8. and eight. But this year, instead of settling for shots, he drove it to the hole. You also look at the competition LeBron faced. Last year, LeBron faced one of the most... He faced probably four Hall of Famers on that Dallas team. Dirk Nowinski, Jason Terry, Jason Kidd, and possibly Sean Marion is maybe a Hall of Famer after getting a championship. The year before, four years ago in Cleveland, he played San Antonio, Duncan, Parker, and Ginobili, and Greg Popovich. This time he, he faced a team that was young and inexperienced in Oklahoma City, a talented team, but you just didn't know if it was their moment yet. And a team, unlike Miami, that didn't really deal with a lot of adversity. Young players that just got together and just made it to the championship. So they haven't really gone through the grueling pains that LeBron James has gone through in his nine-year career. I don't think they really wanted it as bad as LeBron, and they weren't as desperate. The critics for Kevin Durant are a lot less than LeBron James's critics were in these playoffs, and I think that that served the Heat very well in continuing their run to the finals. I think we also have to pay respects and certainly give mad props to um, two other players. Chris Bosh was injured, and he came back, and he was flawless. Bosh was uh, diving for balls. He really wanted it. He was every shot he made, you know, was hit nothing but net. And and he's a very talented player. We tend to take him for granted because he's so good. He he doesn't look like he's working hard because he's a smooth player. But Bosch was was flawless in the finals, and also um, certainly um, the, one of the most exciting players in the league, Dwayne Wade. If you watched, uh, we did we do when we watch the games, we often replay it, and we look at certain plays over and over again. And if you just watched Wade driving to the hole, 
there might have been eight different times when he was going up off balance, falling away, and and threw the ball up and either and usually banked it off as he was flying and hitting the ground, and uh, and making the shot and and getting three point plays and uh, he does it better than anybody, and you wonder you know certainly he's had a share of injuries but you wonder why uh, why he's been injured the answer is because of the way he plays he plays real hard. Well, that that's really our NBA wrap up. Got to congratulate LeBron and the Miami Heat for getting the job done and Eric Spolstra um, having to do with pressure that is insurmountable pressure and, and overcoming it and winning their first championship in Miami, a championship that was long overdue for LeBron James, one of the greatest basketball players of all time. Um, you're listening to Bruce the Sports Talk. We're going to take it to break. When we come back, we're going to talk more basketball. Also, right now, we're reporting live from Congressional Country Club. We're watching Tiger Woods come down the stretch with Bo Van Pelt. Very exciting. We'll bring it back to you in five. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1 888 346 9144. That's 1 888 346 9144. Or send an email to Bruce at BruceTheSportsDoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the next segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. We're dealing with a very important area now, which will be injuries to the low back. This could relate to your sports injuries or other types of trauma, such as falls at work or car accidents. This is an area of extreme expertise for grossing or neuropaid specialist. If you are within driving distance of the sound of my voice and you have a low back problem, whether it be a disc, whether it be a spinal cord injury, whether it be a car accident or a work accident, please call us for consultation. 610-521-6063. Again, I'm Dr. Bruce Grossinger. Let's start out with the types of injuries in the low back. 
I like to think of three different main injuries in the low back that are serious. Number one, injuries to the discs. Okay, and they include bulging, protruding, or traumatic discs. That's when the inner core, which is the nucleus pulposus, essentially ruptures and breaks through the outer part, which is called the annulus fibrosis. Excuse the Latin. And what happens when a disc breaks out is it moves into an area where a nerve lives, a nerve root. In Latin, the word root is called radic. So when there is a disc problem or a bone spur which presses into a nerve root in the spine, or alternatively, if there is a tremendous force, particularly a flexion and extension force to the spine, that could actually tear or partially tear the nerve cables. The nerve cables are oriented such that there's an inner cable, which is like the inner part of a wire, that's called the axon, and there's an outer cable, which is called the myelin. So, we've talked about different injuries. One, disc injury. That's one type of injury. Another type of injury is direct trauma to the nerve, stretching or pulling. If the nerve actually gets pulled out of the spinal column, that's called an avulsion. That leaves somebody with a flaccid limb, either an arm or leg, and total weakness. A nerve root avulsion, regrettably, is a very serious problem that's very difficult to treat. Another problem with the lumbar spine is called the facet syndrome. That is, the interconnecting joints are called facets. And in the same area, there are little nerves called median branches. And what happens is, there's injury to those joints and those nerves, and there's usually multiple levels of injury. So our treatment usually involves treating multiple levels, a three on average. So when you have a patient that comes in and tells you, I have back pain, morning stiffness, and you examine them, and they have tenderness overlying the facet joints, that's what we call a facet syndrome. When Tiger Woods injured his neck last year, he did not herniate a disc but he had a cervical facet syndrome. He required treatment for that problem and eventually recovered. So when we think about it, we look at the back in the midline area, we see midline discs and nerves. We also think about the facets, which is a vertically oriented group of multi-level nerves and joints. Finally, it's separate and distinct, something called the sacroiliac joint. When the pain is either on one side or both sides, unilateral or bilateral. And when I put my finger right on what we call the dimples of the back, otherwise known as the sacroiliac joint, the posterior superiliac spines, and there's extreme tenderness there. Or alternatively, if there's unleveling, when I look at it carefully, if one of the sacroiliac joints is way higher than the other, I think about something called sacroiliac joint syndrome. Sacroiliac joint syndrome, how does it compare with the other entities? It typically does not radiate down into one or both legs. It's not radiating in character. It's not a radiculopathy. That's the Latin word. Also, it's usually in a different area. It doesn't go up the spine. It doesn't affect multiple levels. It basically is such where you put your finger on the SI joint, there's pain. And there's also two other tests called the Patrick's test wherein you do a maneuver to the hip and the leg, and also something called a Lasagne's test, 
which is another provocative test we do in the office, when those tests are positive, they can support the diagnosis of sacroiliac dysfunction. Well, how do you treat sacroiliac dysfunction? Number one, anti-inflammatories, muscle relaxers, physical therapy, myofascial treatment, even gentle manipulation, either osteopathic manipulation or chiropractic manipulation. And also, we do both diagnostic and therapeutic injections. In the operating room, we do this in neuropain specialists. We take a needle, we place it down an x-ray beam directly at the SI joint, and we inject a powerful anti-inflammatory and local anesthetic agent. When that relieves the pain, that's a positive diagnostic test, and there's also a therapeutic component. We usually do up to three injections in the sacroiliac area. Okay, let's go back to diagnosis number one. Disc injuries, lumbar root injuries. How do we treat that? So how do we treat herniated discs? Number one, at the core is a good clinical exam. There are rare cases that represent true surgical emergencies. When somebody has an acute injury to their disc, they herniate it, and they develop an inability to pass urine, or they develop constipation, that is a true emergency. That indicates the likelihood of a spinal cord involvement, or what we call a cauda equina syndrome. That's a big word in Latin. Cauda equina relates to the horse's tail. In that case, we send him to an immediate surgeon who usually does a decompression. They remove the disc with or without a fusion to stabilize the spine. That's unusual, however. 95% or greater, we start off conservatively. Anti-inflammatory medicines, muscle relaxers, physical therapy, rest, stretching, second-tier treatment. We do epidural injections in our office. That means in an operating room, we place a needle at the level of the disc, above or below it. We inject corticosteroids, local anesthetic agents. We usually do two or three of these injections over a period of four to six weeks. In our hands, the epidural injections have a 70% chance of significantly impacting on the patient's problem. They don't remove the disc, but they usually can induce a relative remission, and they allow the patient to continue their activities. So, review. Disc injuries. Unless there's a true surgical emergency, we use physical therapy, medicines, injections. We also believe gentle mobilization, which can be done by a physical therapist or can be done safely by a chiropractic physician, are very important tools in the treatment of lumbar disc injuries. We talked about sacroiliac dysfunction, pain in the butt, literally, and these problems are treated by medicine, mobilization, and injections directly to the sacroiliac joint. The way we do our injections, we use a special x-ray machine called a fluoroscope. So we have actual pictures of the needle. We can see where the medicine is going, and we can follow that up, and we can share that with the patient. I believe at the core of the treatment of low back injuries is good communication, interaction between the doctor and the patient. And again, we can see low back injuries at a host of scenarios. We can see them from car accidents, work injuries, and particularly in the sporting environment. 
oftentimes it's a twist, it's an acceleration, it's a deceleration, it's a slip and fall. We see it a lot in the wintertime. Black ice, head over heels, I landed on my back. And when they come to us, we have to decide whether it's a serious neurological injury. Another class of back injuries are the non-serious variety, what we call the simple strain and sprain, soft tissue injuries. These injuries get better, typically in four to six weeks. They require no formal um, injections or surgical treatment. They often don't require even CAT scans or MRIs. They usually get better with rest, anti-inflammatory medicines, something called a Medrol dose pack, which is a methyl prednisolone pack over five days, gentle physical therapy, chiropractic care, and time. So if it's a simple low back strain, they get better. However, we see so many patients who are told by their doctors or by whomever, don't worry about it, you have a simple strain. They go ahead and they get evaluated. They get a careful exam by a neurologist. We find they need MRIs. And it turns out that they fall in the other category of the more serious big three. Lumbar disc injuries, nerve injuries, that's one category. Lumbar facet injuries and sacroiliac injuries. We're going to reinforce this particular discussion on future dialogues with you, the listener at Voice America Sports. This concludes this segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. I will continue to help you journey through Nerveland, Dr. Bruce Grossinger. I thank you so much for listening. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine. Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. School to the pros, we, we cover, everything. cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1 888 346 9144. That's 1 888 346 9144. Or send an email to Bruce at 
Com. Now, back to the show. When patients come to see us with neck pain, the first discriminator is to decide whether or not there's a major injury to the nerves, discs, or spinal cord of the neck. We determine this largely from the history. So let's say we have Mr. Jones comes in and says, I have neck pain and stiffness. What I'll ask him is, do you have any weakness, numbness, or lack of dexterity in either arm? And I'll also ask him whether he has any symptoms down into his legs from his neck condition, and further, whether he's had any difficulty with bowel or bladder function. If he has a major neck injury, a big trauma, and he also has problems in the legs, that certainly alerts us to worry about the spinal cord area because the spinal cord in the neck anatomically relates not only to the arms but also to the legs. It goes down into the bowel and bladder. So if somebody just has neck pain and stiffness that does not radiate, in most cases this will be what we call a soft tissue injury. That is, it will be a problem with the muscles, ligaments, or tendons in the neck. And in most cases, this should get better in four to six weeks. What type of treatment do we prescribe? We usually prescribe medicines, anti-inflammatory agents, muscle relaxers, and at times other types of analgesics. What type of treatment do we prescribe? We often prescribe physical therapy and often chiropractic care. That is gentle manipulation. Manipulation means when a doctor or a therapist essentially move and help to restore motion in the neck area. And the most important planes of motion include forward flexion, extension, which is raising your head back, bending to the side, and rotation. So in therapy, we'll often start off by ordering modalities. That'll be heat, coolness, ultrasound, in addition to, at times, some ancillary treatments, including a TENS unit, which is an electrical stimulation unit, and sometimes we'll prescribe a soft brace, something called a soft cervical collar that the patient could wear at bedtime in order for them to achieve some comfort. So number one is the mild injuries. Number two is what we call the radiculopathies. That is injuries that involve the discs and nerves in the neck. How can we tell that these are more serious cases? Well, often it's a matter of sitting down and talking to the patients themselves. And they will tell you, Doc, my neck pain radiates into my right, my right shoulder and arm. I've got weakness and I've got tingling in my hand. So what I usually do as a detective is I listen carefully to the story. I look at exactly the areas where the muscles are weak and I test the muscles I use a reflex hammer to check reflexes, and I'll also check sensation using things like sharp, dull, vibratory stimuli. In this case, let's call this case two, I find that the patient has weakness of the triceps, that's elbow extensors, weakness of finger extensors, as well as diminished sensation in the back of the head, particularly the middle finger, as well as a diminished triceps reflex. That is, when I bang on the triceps, I don't get a normal stretch reflex. I get a more diminished response. 
that heightens my sensitivity for pathology at C67. So what will I do then? I'll order an MRI of the neck. The MRI of the neck shows a pretty large herniated disc, a slip disc at C67, pressing on the nerve. Well, how do I confirm there's nerve damage? I personally do a test called an EMG. An EMG stands for electromyography. You probably heard about this. And we do it right here at Grossinger Neuropaid Specialist. So if any of you within the sound of our voice are close to Pennsylvania, New Jersey, or Delaware, we are very proud of what we call our painless EMGs. That is, we use very small micro-thin needles, and you could call us at 610-521-6063 or 6064, and you could say, I heard Dr. Grossinger on the radio. My doctor sent me for an EMG, and I don't want a lot of pain. So what we have is very, very small needles. So the EMG involves an electrical stimuli. That is, the patient is sitting there. We will be stimulating various nerves going up to the neck. And then the second part involves those small needles. We'll actually take the needle, place it in the muscle, and the needle will be connected to a television, which is called an oscilloscope. The whole test takes about 30 to 60 minutes. And when we're done, I have an idea of what's going on. So let's say Mr. Jodes underwent this test. Hypothetically, he had a herniated disc at C6-7, pinched nerve on the right side, right-sided symptoms, and when I stuck a needle into his triceps and pronator teres, I noted there was something called denervation, loss of nerve supply. Also, when I placed the needle in his neck, I also saw loss of nerve supply. So we have to understand anatomy as doctors. When there is the posterior primary rami of C7, that is the neck muscles, as well as the triceps, pronators, and finger extensors, I as a doctor can tell the patient, not only do you have a disc in your neck, but also a pinched nerve, a right C7 radiculopathy. That's what we call radiculopathy, which in Latin means a problem with the nerve. In pathy means disease of the nerve. So that's what is going on right there. So we've established the injury, a disc injury, nerve injury. In this case, the spinal cord is okay. That is, bowel, bladder, and legs are fine. How do we treat it? Well, number one, physical therapy, modalities, heat, ultrasound, gentle motion, bracing, as well as medicines, including anti-inflammatories, analgesics, and muscle relaxers. The next step in treatment is what we call interventional spine care. We do that right in the office here. We have two operating rooms. What we do is we have a very thin needle under fluoroscopy. A patient's laying on a table. We have a whole operating room team. What we'll do is we'll place that needle directly through a three-dimensional X-ray, find exactly the spot, and we'll put medicine, usually something, a corticosteroid called Decadron and a local anesthetic agent, and... We'll usually do those injections every other week for three times. About 70% of the time, the patient has substantial benefit in pain relief and reduced muscle spasm with the epidural injections. Let's say the patient has progressive muscle weakness and associated ominous symptoms such as bowel or bladder and or leg weakness, that is, a herniated disc can impinge upon 
the spinal cord as well. At that point, we would send the patient to a spinal surgeon, that is either an orthopedic surgeon or a neurosurgeon, and if necessary, they may undergo a neck surgery. What are the most common neck surgeries? When one has a single disc which is confined, the usual surgery is called a laminectomy, that is the surgeon goes in, cuts out part of the bone on the back part of the neck, they'll go in and remove the disc, that's called a discectomy, and they'll stabilize the area with a fusion. There are many new ways to fuse the spine and protect it from further injury. They include bones, allograft usually, that is a bony graft from the patient's iliac crest, their hip bone. Rarely, they can use bones from a cadaver. And most recently, there's hardware, such as titanium plating, and that is we have a metal plate and screws which are attached and screwed in to protect the bones, the vertebral segments above and below the area of the injury. There's also a new technique, which is called an artificial disc replacement. The FDA has approved artificial disc replacement in the neck and back. They've approved it under certain circumstances where there is one level of disease and therefore there is one artificial disc. So instead of fusing the area and putting bone in there or plates, what they'll do is they'll use an artificial disc, that is a disc which is synthetic and which has the same abilities to act as a shock absorber, and that is essentially placed surgically into the patient's body. These new artificial discs are extremely compliant, provide a lot of absorption, and have a very low risk of rejection from the patient themselves. So, we've gone through a whole litany of treatment, starting with diagnosis, as well as physical exam, MRIs, EFGs, injections, physical therapy. I've told you about surgery. Well, after the surgery, the patients will usually need to be in a hard collar, a Philadelphia collar, for anywhere between three and six months. And what that does is it allows the bones to fully stabilize and fuse and allows there to be structural return of stability to the neck. 70 to 80% of patients with surgery will do much better, though there are a few patients who may have something called a post-laminectomy syndrome. This is usually caused when there is excessive scarring in the area, which is called epidural scarring. The patients also can undergo recurrent disc herniations. That is, let's say this patient who had a C6-7 herniated disc got a fusion, and a year later they developed another herniated disc above the level of the fusion at C5-6. Regrettably, mechanically speaking, there is a risk of recurrent disc disease above and below the area of a fusion, and that has to do with the spinal mechanics. Following the surgery, following physical therapy, there's usually a period of rehabilitation for four to eight weeks, and then the patient can involve themselves in retraining, that is strengthening the muscles, stretching, and essentially gradually returning back to either employment or returning back to training for their sport. If this is an athletic injury, they will often go through a very graded return to sports. 
The exertion will be monitored typically by a trainer or exercise physiologist, and eventually the patient could could go back to playing sports. With respect to neck surgeries, the typical time for professional athletes, it's usually about a year out of service. So with professional hockey and football, somebody goes through a neck surgery, laminectomy, infusion, they're usually out for a year. There are some rare cases where patients, typically due to their age, are advised not to ever return back to their sport of interest. So let's summarize. In this segment, we talked about what happens with neck injuries. We talked about being the doctor and receiving the information and how the story itself can tailor us to appropriate treatment, to appropriate diagnosis, treatment, including MRIs, EMGs, physical therapy, chiropractic, injections, and surgery. So this is a pretty comprehensive overview, and we hope you enjoyed this segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. Thanks for joining the discussion this week on Bruce the Sports Doc. Tune in next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with Dr. Bruce Grossinger on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll see you then. We'll see you then.